Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much, Claire. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Matt, and I'm on the team at St. Michael's, and it's uh, wonderful to be with you, and a real warm welcome as well to those joining us online. Uh, Shall we pray as I begin? Yes, Father, we do thank you so much for your word, and we ask that you would bring it alive to us now, that you would speak to us, that as we, would hear, as we were just hearing, it wouldn't come in be just words that we hear, but something of your presence and your power would come to help us this morning. And help me as I speak, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder, have you ever experienced a moment that felt like, I wish I could stay in this moment forever? My guess would be that the kinds of moments that come into your mind um, are moments with other people. So maybe a relaxing sun-kissed holiday, maybe a moment of deep conversation around a table, maybe a moment of celebration, like a graduation or a wedding or a party, or in this case, a baptism. So often, our special unforgettable moments happen with other people at our side, don't they? But how many of us, I wonder, would choose a moment in church is our special, unforgettable moment. Maybe a piercingly relevant sermon or an exalted moment of singing. Maybe a special moment of receiving prayer at a challenging time in your life where you just knew that God's with me and he's for me and he's going to get me through what I'm facing. But there's no doubt in my mind that um, if we were to sit down with the Apostle Paul And to ask him, have you ever experienced a moment that you uh, wish you could stay in forever, that right at the top of his list would be the amazing time that he spent with the Thessalonian church we were just hearing about? Paul holds a really special and intimate place in his heart for this church, and his praise and encouragement and um, love for this church just saturates the whole letter. So just listen to some of these examples. We always thank God for all of you. 
and continually mention you in our prayers. Or chapter 2, verse 8, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Or chapter 3, verse 9, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Paul is just bursting uh, with encouragement for this church. Now, we're starting a new preaching series this morning uh, entitled um, How to Light Up God's World. And right up front, um, I want to look with you at this amazing, persecuted, but spirit-filled church in Thessalonica. And the title for today's message is What It Takes to Be a High-Impact Community. What It Takes to Be a High-Impact Community. And if you could boil this passage down to one thing, or one word even, that it takes to be a high-impact community, that word, I think, would be endurance. Endurance. It takes a kind of gritty, faith-filled endurance to be a high-impact community of the gospel. And this theme of endurance in the face of suffering and persecution is shot through the whole of this letter, and you can see it in chapter 1 today. Uh, Paul tells us in verse 6 that you received the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so just to give you a bit of context to what's happening here, there's a book in the Bible called the Book of Acts, and in chapters 16 to 17 in that book, Paul the Apostle has this incredibly uh, moving vision um, of a man from Macedonia crying out to him and saying, come and help us. And Paul immediately recognizes the hand of God in this um, vision that he has. Uh, and so he recognizes he needs to obey it, and so he sets off to Philippi and then to uh, Thessalonica. After a large number of uh, people are converted to Christ in Thessalonica, the leaders um, of the temple uh, get jealous, and so they start a riot in the city so that Paul has to leave this group of brand-new baby Christians to contend with a horrendous season of suffering and persecution. So you can just imagine the worry that would have been on the Apostle uh, Paul's mind having to leave behind this church. But to Paul's joy and amazement, the suffering that, humanly speaking at least, should have extinguished their spiritual fire in his absence has actually, in God's hands, intensified it and made their love stronger. So endurance is front and center in this letter. In verse 2, he commends them for their work produced by faith, their labor prompted by love, and their endurance inspired by hope. So Paul is really ringing the bell of endurance for us this morning. And I want to suggest to you that endurance is probably one of the most underrated works of the Holy Spirit. Psychologist Angela Duckworth, in her book, Grit, uh, Why Passion and Resilience are the Secrets to Success, says that um, enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. Enthusiasm is common, but endurance is rare. And she goes on to say, I don't just have a job, I have a calling. I'll challenge myself every day. When I get knocked down, I'll get back up. I may not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll strive to be the grittiest. And as we um, consider this remarkable church 
in Thessalonica, we're going to see that it takes three uh, kind of kinds of endurance to be a high-impact community. Firstly, it takes um, endurance in our love. Secondly, it takes um, endurance through God's power. And lastly, it takes endurance to live a changed life. Love, power, and living a changed life. So firstly, it takes endurance in our love. Verses two to three. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith and your labor prompted by love. Now, I'm so grateful that the Apostle Paul is realistic here. He acknowledges that real love in the church takes endurance. He recognizes that authentic and warm and open community is a labor of love. It doesn't just happen automatically. Now, there's plenty of begrudgingly done work in the world, isn't there? There's plenty of guilt-ridden labor in the world. And tragically, there can be plenty of anxious and guilt-ridden activity in the church as well. But work produced by real faith, labor produced by deep love, it's an altogether different matter. And the tragic thing is that so many people write off God's claim on their life, not because they find the idea of God unpalatable, but because of the dry and loveless religion that they've so often experienced in church. But the church should be famous for its love. And if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, I do just want to say um, that the real deal does exist. An authentic community of love in which people know themselves to be deeply loved by God and by each other does exist and is possible. And if you'd like to explore it, I'd highly recommend coming along to Alpha on Wednesday evening this week at 7.30 in the church. But love is a labor. It is highly sacrificial. And it is so important that Jesus tells us that it's the quality of our the love between us as a church that will bring a hurting and messed up world to put their trust in him. So in John chapter 13, verse 35, he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What labor of love is God calling us to, I wonder? It might be just committing to a home group and letting other Christians in on your life and vulnerabilities. Might even be starting a home group and taking the adventure and the risk of inviting people to join you. It might just be, you know, being on the lookout for new people on a Sunday. And if you're an introverted kind of person, you might think, well, you know, I'm, I'm awkward. I don't know what to say to a, to a new person. But um, trust me, being on your own in church for the first time is far more awkward for them than it is for you. Um, I liked this advice that I saw um, on Twitter. Uh, it says, uh, my husband has three rules of engagement when we go to church. And these are good principles for us to consider, I think. Firstly, an alone person in our gathering is an emergency. Secondly, friends can wait. And third, introduce a newcomer to someone else. 
And as I read that, it reminded me of a time when I was reconnecting with my faith again. I'd gone off to university and sort of basically shoved God out of my life. But then I had a powerful encounter with God in a particular church service, and so I decided to try uh, my local church out. And so I snuck in um, after the service started and took a seat at the back of the church. I was hurting. I was feeling a lot of shame at the time. And at the end of the service, I just remember trying to sort of sneak away so that I wouldn't get cornered by anybody. And I will never forget when someone came running after me as a 20-year-old. His name was Ian, and he tapped me on the shoulder. And he just said, oh, hello and welcome. Can I just say, you know, how great it is to have you here? And we struck up a conversation in the foyer. Now, I don't remember the details of that conversation, but I do remember how Ian made me feel and how welcome he made me feel. It was just so clear to me that this church was a labor of love to him. And that was actually one of the key moments for me anyway that made me realize actually this is the right church for me and it's a church that God is calling me to stay in for this season. So this whole issue of our love is personal to me. And in any church making an impact, there will always be people like Ian who make those small daily decisions to reach out to the people around them. But it's, the, it's consistent small gestures that often make the bigger difference than the one-offs, I find. And this is especially challenging, I think, in a central London context where there's pretty much a church for every kind of temperament and style. And the temptation can be to sort of come to church, sit back, you know, sort of fold your arms with an attitude of, well, come on, then impress me. Tony Blair once famously said, there's three types of people in politics, the reactionaries, the commentators, and the doers. And I think the same is true in the church in many ways, and yet we're called not to be reactionaries, not to be commentators and critics, but to be doers. What does it take to be a high-impact community? It takes endurance in our love. But secondly, it takes endurance through God's power. Endurance through God's power. So verses four to five, they're such power-packed verses. He says, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also and here's the thing I want to focus on with you but also with power with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction Paul tells us that the reason this persecuted and suffering church has not been crushed is because of the power with which they were brought to faith in Jesus now, some people think that this reference here to power could be referring to miracles. Um, others think it could have been the transformation that God did in the lives of the people in this community. And still others think it could have been kind of the conviction and power of uh, Paul's preaching. Personally, I think all three are right. But it's teaching this, I think, that God longs for us to be a people who desire more of his presence and power. Our gospel came to you 
not simply with words, so words are important, but God, but it wasn't just in words. God himself came to be with his people. And as always, when God comes to be with his people, there was a demonstration of power. But the greatest expression of God's power wasn't actually the miracles, as wonderful as they are, it was in the endurance that they had by God's power. So just listen to verse six. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's litmus test for a high impact community. Is there a power from God showing endurance in the face of suffering? And he goes on in verse 7 to say, and so you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And so I do just want to encourage those of you who are in a season right now of endurance or suffering that your endurance is far more powerful and helpful for others than you might imagine. When you're sort of just hanging on by your fingertips, it's very easy to lose sight of the importance of that. Why? Because people are watching you when you suffer and they're trying to work out, is faith in Jesus just a nice quaint hobby Or is faith in Jesus a relationship that can change everything? And each time you make the decision to trust God and to endure by his power, you do several things when you do that. Firstly, you strengthen the Christians watching you. They see firsthand that God is real and that he's actually helping you in what you're facing. And secondly, you testify to God's very reality in a secular world. Uh, Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was martyred by the Nazis, said that um, your life as a Christian should make non-believers question their disbelief in God. Well, guess what? When you endure by God's power... That is exactly what you, the challenge that you're laying down. You're saying, well, here's the difference God is making to my life, and will you let him make a difference for you as well? What does it take to be a high-impact community? It takes endurance in our love. It takes endurance through God's power. And lastly, it takes endurance to live a changed life. So starting halfway through verse 9, it says, they tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And the change that God did in the Thessalonians is described very concisely as turning to God from idols. Now that risks sounding very simple and straightforward, um, easy even. But there was nothing straightforward or, or easy about turning to Christ in ancient Thessalonica or indeed today. 
because idolatry was woven into the social fabric of society. You could quite literally see Mount Olympus 50 miles away, that symbol of all of the Greek um, gods. But it was also a Roman city and so uh, with the imperial cult, and so they were being put under pressure, Christians were being put under pressure to worship the emperor instead of Jesus. And so it took huge amounts of endurance, not just to turn to God from idols, but to stay turned to God and to carry on living a changed life. Now clearly, we're not in the shadow of Mount Olympus, but the tentacles of idolatry are every bit as pervasive in London. Because at its root, idolatry is looking to some created thing to give us the meaning, the hope, and the happiness that only God can give. And therefore, idolatry always hurts us and breaks our hearts eventually. You know, we might say, well, when I find, you know, that one romantic relationship, I'll finally feel complete. We might say, well, when I achieve success and financial security, then you know, I'll feel like I'm enough. Might say, when I'm welcomed into that sort of inner social circle, then I'll feel like I'm acceptable. But it's a never-ending hamster wheel, a never-ending rat race. It never satisfies. But notice how Paul describes God in verse 9. He proclaims that God is living and true. I love that, that what we need more than anything is a God who is living and true, a God who releases us from slavery to the dead idols we so often turn to, or the good things that we turn to, but we cling on to them so tightly that they very quickly become bad things, a God who pours out the living waters of his spirit so that, like the Thessalonians, we can have Uh, the endurance to go on living a changed life. And God is always in the business of doing that, of calling us to turn away from idolatry to serve and live for him. But what is God calling you and I to turn away from this morning with his help? You know, for the Thessalonians, there was a cost. To become a Christian meant changing your social behavior to stay in obedience to Jesus. It was a radical decision. Later in chapter four, uh, Paul unpacks that one area of temptation and struggle for this church was sexual immorality. And uh, we're not in the business of trying to shame anyone at St. Michael's, but this is an area of our lives that matters to God and where it's possible to experience increasing levels of freedom and forgiveness. Maybe for you, it's your career, and God is calling you to say, you know, as much as I care about what I do, my, dan- my identity is not my job. My identity is as a child of the living and true God. He is my security and my reward. What does it take to be a high-impact community? It takes endurance in our love. It takes endurance through God's power, and it takes endurance to live a changed life and to keep on living it. But friends, don't forget 
the endurance of Jesus. You know, Paul in this passage says the gospel sounded out from you. The gospel just means the good news of what Jesus has done. And um, in Hebrews chapter 12, it tells us that for the joy set before Jesus, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When our endurance levels wax and wane, when we aren't sure that we have what it takes, if we're honest, we can remember that we have a merciful savior who understands and who died for us. And as we look to him, I want to submit to you, we can find the ultimate strength to really and actually endure. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to endure the cross for us. And we do ask that you would give us now something of his endurance. Help us to endure in our love for each other. Help us, by your Holy Spirit, give us power. And help us to endure in living, changed lives to your glory, turning to you and away from all the mess. And thank you that you are so faithful to forgive and to renew and cleanse us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.